And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. Today's guest is Kevin Town. Kevin had an amazing angel experience while in the hospital, and now we're going to learn about it. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me, and welcome. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate it. All right, Kevin. So if you don't mind, let's start on the day that your experience happened. Okay. Well, this was back in 1988. I was 17 years old, and this happened at WCA Hospital in Jamestown, New York. And what I was supposed to have done was just uh, tonsillectomy. And I've always heard that when you have this done when you're older versus a younger like child, uh, the complications can be much worse. And, uh, and unfortunately, I waited until I was 17 to see a surgeon to get my tonsils out. They were so badly scarred. And I had chronic strep throat growing up as a kid. You know, walking to school in the wintertime, getting my feet and socks wet and stuff. I was always sick as a kid going to school. And the strep throat became so bad all the time, missing school and whatnot, being homesick to where um, my mom wanted to do something about it. And so I ended up seeing an um, ear, nose, and throat specialist. Dr. Galil was the surgeon that did the surgery. And I was only supposed to, uh, following this surgery, I was only supposed to be in the hospital a day, maybe two at the max. That's it. Well, it didn't go as planned. And um, he told me, which really made me worried, is that he says, I know you've suffered for many years with uh, severe, uh, or he called it acute strep throat. And he says, I want you to know that once this procedure is done, you're going to have the mother of all sore throats. So he says, you're only going to have to go through one, one more time. But he said, this one's going to be the worst of them all. And I thought, oh, great. But I sucked it up because I knew that sometimes to get on the other side of things, you got to go through something rough. But if it meant that I would never suffer with strep throat again, I was willing to go through it. And so as a 17-year-old kid, I went through it. And I didn't do well. And I had the procedure done and everything went fine with what the surgeon did. I was what caused the problem because Dr. Galil told me, and this was after or before I got back to my room, he says, do not try to clear your throat, cough or anything like that. Don't do anything with your throat. And, uh, my throat was so painful to where I couldn't even swallow my own saliva. I had to spit into like this little plastic bowl that they gave me and I couldn't eat or drink anything. And so um, I went into my hospital room after the surgery and after I recovered in recovery, they took me to my hospital room and, and I was in the, the wing of the hospital back in those days was pediatrics. So I was where the, the babies and everything were kept. It was just for anybody that was a kid, a minor. That's how they did it. They put all kids in one wing. And that's where I was put in this room. It was a double occupancy room. However, I was in the room alone. And my bed was right next to the door that went out into the hallway, the bed to my left that had the windows of the hospital on the other side of it. That bed was made and there was no patient in it. The curtain was drawn all the way back to the wall. I had full view of the whole room and I was in there by myself. Well, I had this uncontrollable urge to cough because as I was laying in my bed, it, it's kind of like that feeling like when you take a sip of something too, too fast, it's like you aspirate some of it and it really makes you start having a coughing frenzy. That's what happened to me. And so I started coughing and I ruptured what Dr. Galil did and I started to hemorrhage out my mouth. And when I say hemorrhage, I mean, it was just blood was just coming out in a scary volume. And I had the call bell that they wrapped around the, the um, rail of my bed hanging there. And I'm desperately pushing the button because I was not allowed to get out of bed. They had the rails up on both sides. And when they come in and saw all the blood, because I was turning my head on my pillow and I got it all over myself, all over the pillow, the bed was soaking it up like a sponge and it was all over the floor. I found out later I lost three pints three full pints of blood. Hmm. And when they came in after I rang the call bell, 
the look on their face. You know, they they immediately unlocked the wheels. They threw on the lights of the the room, and they they took me right out. And down the hallway, I went, and I just saw the lights, like you see in a movie where someone's laying on their bed, and they get that camera shot of the upper lights passing by fast. That's exactly what I experienced. And they took me out in the bed that I was laying in, and I went right into emergency surgery. And uh, they had no time to put me out because I was hemorrhaging severely. Um, blood was just gushing, and I was it felt like I was drowning in my own blood. And I'll never forget that it was as if, to get an idea what it feels like, is if someone poured like warm milk all over your neck and, it, and your clothing starts soaking it up. Um, the smock that I was wearing was soaking it up, and that's what it, it felt very, very warm. So Dr. Galil, I don't know what he did, but he, he grabbed my chin and he went real fast back and forth and dislocated my chin and I felt, or my jaw, and I felt my chin hit down here. True story. I don't know what he did, but just a quick movement like that. And my, he, he uh, undid my, the hinge of my jaw and he went, came in with these hemostats that were this long with big white cotton balls in the ends of them. And he started going down and packing my throat. And there was no time to put me under. And I literally felt like I was suffocating to death because the blood is trying to come out and he's going down in with cotton. I, I blacked out. I completely blacked out because I went into shock. All I could do was just stare up at this doctor as he's looming over me and he's doing what he needed to do to correct um, the surgery that he did on me. And thank God he was still in the hospital when this happened. And so I blacked out. And then the next memory I have is I'm back in the same hospital room. And a nurse come in um, to bring me, they had me on liquid medication. It was morphine. And you can, according to the internet, I'm no doctor or uh, you know medicine expert, but they claim that you can hallucinate on morphine. And I was on morphine, and I'm going to get to the point of why I know what I experienced in this hospital was not a hallucination, but she came in with this, this liquid morphine for me to down and I could swallowing. It was like razor blades. It was terrible. And, uh, she told me, she says, after we wheeled you out of here, she says, it looked like someone had been murdered in this room. They had to bring in a cleaning crew to mop up the floor. There was so much blood all over the place and they didn't even clean me up. I still had blood on the side of my face. I had it in my mustache because I've been able to grow a mustache since I was 15. And at 17, I had a mustache, no goatee or nothing, but it was in my mustache, it was down my neck, and my smock was just covered in blood. I was still wearing the same smock. And so they just, after they did what they did, they, they monitored me for a while. And then I went back to my room like I did the first time when I had the original surgery done. And by this time, I knew now, no matter what happens, do not clear your throat like the doctor told me. And so I was so worried that that would happen again and I'd have to cough and then rupture it again. So I was just so being so careful. And um, the nurse gave me my medication and then she asked me, she says, do you want the lights on or off? And I'm the type of person when I stay in the hospital, I like the lights off. I just, I sleep better. Um, not having those bright hospital lights on and everything. And I told you, she says, you can, you can turn them off. And uh, I was in this room by myself and the bathroom door was open, but the bathroom light was on. I told her she could leave that on. So the only light that would come into my room, and this is the way it was, Jeff, for the whole seven nights that I was in this hospital, all, all these nights that I was there, it was just the light that illuminated into my room like a pie wedge from the bathroom where the door was open 50%. And so it was just a dim like backlighting. And uh, there was a TV on the wall in my um, hospital room. But back in those days, you had to pay TV separate than your hospital bill. They'd come around and collect from patients that wanted to have TV service. They don't do that anymore. But back in those days, that's how they did it. And being that I was 17 and my parents were separated and I was, uh, you know, under the care of my mom, she didn't have much money. I just, I didn't ask to have TV turned on or anything like that. I just went without it. So I stayed in this room alone with just the bathroom light on um, in this darkened room. And I would just lay there and I could not seem to get my mind off of how horrible my throat felt. 
it was like someone went down it with an auger and just bored my throat out. It was just burning, painful, just burning. And so I, I basically was dwelling on it, on how my throat felt, which made it worse. When, when most people try to get their mind on, I couldn't get my mind on anything else. It's all I could think about was how bad my throat felt. Well, after I got that medication, I soon eventually after that, I, uh, I dozed off. I just fell asleep. And then the next moment I'm awake. And when I'm awake, there's this woman right next to my bed, right up against the rail of my bed. Because I was not allowed to get out of bed, not even to urinate. I had a urinal that was hanging hooked, the handle hooked onto the bars. And this woman was right to my side. And I saw her on my peripheral vision and I looked at her and she actually startled me. It actually scared me because when I opened my eyes, I wasn't expecting someone to be right there standing at my bed. And um, she had a nurse uniform on. However, this nurse uniform did not look like any of the other nurses. And I had to wait for years later until the internet came along to where I could figure out what that uniform is from, what, what era, because it, she looked like she was from another time. Her uniform was completely different. It was all white, all white uniform. And she had the, the nurses, the old fashioned white cap. And then it had the red X almost like an army nurse. She had the red X on the front of this white cap that was like pinned to her hair. I'll never forget what she looked like. She was actually attractive. And she had just down to the top of her shoulder right here, her hair. That's all the longer it was. And it was like a wavy curly, but it was like natural wavy curly hair. And it was red, strawberry red. She was a redhead. And she told me her name. And she had a name tag on, but to this, to this day, I cannot remember her name. It's the only thing I can't remember, but, but she told me as she startled me when I came to and noticed her there, she says in a soft voice, she says, honey, I'm going to get a washcloth and I'm going to wash this blood off of you. And she went into the bathroom and she came out with a warm washcloth. And I just turned my head a little bit because I couldn't turn my head too much because of how sore my throat was. And she just gently wiped my cheek, my chin. She tried to get the blood out of my mustache and she wiped me all down around my shoulder area and got the blood all off of me that had now been dried on me for some time. And the washcloth basically, and I found out this later because another nurse brought this same washcloth out and it was a strawberry color. Because even though it got rinsed out, that white washcloth still had the stain of my blood in it. So it took on like a pinkish color, but I'll get to that later. But uh, she washed the blood off of me and she says, I'm going to stay right here with you. That's what she told me. And I thought, uh, what, for like 15 minutes, an hour? I really didn't know what she meant by that statement. She says, I'm going to stay right here with you. And she did. And there was only two chairs in the whole room. There was a regular, almost like a restaurant style chair that has no arms on it. It's just a back and a seat was up against the wall beneath the TV that was opposite the foot of my bed. And then the door to the hallway, the hinge was on the bed end of the room. And this is important because as that door, it was a wide door, wide enough for these hospital beds to get wheeled out. And to the uh, left of the hinge of the hallway door was a jerry chair against the wall at an angle. And for those that don't know what a jerry chair is, it's a vinyl covered hospital type recliner with casters on it. And you can lock them so you can lock the chair in place, but it reclines and they're called jerry chairs. They have them in nursing homes as well. This is what was to the left of the hinge side of the door. And so when this nurse said, I'm going to stay with you. She would go over and sit in that Jerry chair, which was just to my right from my bed. She could look at me. I could look at her and she sat down and she just sat there, not with her legs crossed or anything. She just, she just put her hands like this on her tops of her thighs 
with her feet together. She had a nurse's shoes on, the whole outfit. And she just sat there and just stayed with me in my room. And the weird thing is, is that every time she did this, Jeff, she would only be around when no other nurse was around because I had a nurse on the night shift that came into my room and they didn't come into my room anywhere near as much as this nurse did. When they opened up that door, that's why this is important. When they opened up that door and it swung over to the Jerry chair, it went right up against the chair. And then when they left and they pulled the door back closed behind them, because I'd always tell them I'll close the door because I didn't want no light from the hallway coming in. There she was right in the shadows of that bathroom light. She was still sitting there, even though the, uh, the nurse that came into my room opened the door all the way, it would have literally hit her in the knees. And when they closed the door, she was still there. And so I thought something, something's not, not right here because she's never said, Oh, I'm sorry, excuse me. Or I'm sorry, I'm sitting here or she didn't try to get out of the way. Nothing was said. Nothing was done. The whole time the, the nurse was in there and the door was open, she didn't come out from behind the door, you know, nothing. Then when that nurse left and closed the door, there she was sitting there. And I thought, that's strange. But I didn't think too much of it, and I didn't say nothing to her. And I would periodically, because of the medicine I was on, I would doze off, and I'd go to sleep. And then there'd be times I'd wait, and I was, it was like this, back and forth all the time, sleeping, waking up, sleeping. And when I say sleeping, I mean like maybe an hour, hour and a half max, because I just couldn't get any sleep because I was in so much pain. And because I, it would wake me up if I felt like I was starting to drown in my own spit, it would startle me awake. And she was always in the room. And this nurse, who I believe was not a nurse, but she was an angel in a nurse's uniform in order to present to me um, that she was there to help me, but not like how most people view an angel, you know, like with a long flowing gown and wings and you know, how people see or think about angels. That's not the case. They can appear as real people and be dressed like real people with nothing to give away other than their supernatural abilities, that they're not human, that it's an angel because she would go into the bathroom and come out and bring me stuff. If she asked me, can I get you something, honey? She would always call me honey. And I says, can I, can I have some jello? I wanted to try some jello because I was hungry. I couldn't eat anything. I couldn't eat solid food. And I thought jello, you know, would, would go down easy. And she went into the bathroom after asking me what kind I wanted. And she came out with it. She did not leave through the door that went into the hallway because I could see that door was like right in the center of the side of my bed. I'd see her come and go from that door. She never did. And she'd bring me anything I needed. Even when she brought medicine or anything for me, she would come from the bathroom, um, just like she did when she got the washcloth. And this stuff was on my table. You know, those, those brown tables that can raise and lower and they, the bottom of them slides under the bed, but the table itself comes over your body in the bed of the hospital bed. I had one of those sitting next to me parallel to the bed. And whatever she'd bring me would get set there. So if I had trouble eating something like pudding, jello, just minor, simple stuff, if I couldn't down it and I, I couldn't eat it, I would just leave it sitting there. And so there was all this evidence of the things she would bring me on this table. No other person brought it to me. And this, this kept going on. And it was as if she knew. Somehow she knew here comes a nurse down the hallway coming to my room. She would disappear. The only time she didn't like try to disappear was when she was in the chair because she knew the door would hide her. She, I believe she knew this because she never got up and then the door closed and she was still sitting there. But if she was on her feet near my bed, she'd go into the bathroom and then in would come a nurse into my room. And there was a time Jeff where one of the nurses on the night shift went into the bathroom and I thought, uh Oh, because I knew she was in there and I was expecting to, to hear her say, well, well, hi, Sally. I didn't know you were in here. You know, I, I expected them to have conversation, nothing, 
I heard nothing from the bathroom and the nurse, the real nurse that came out into back into my room made no mention of her being in the bathroom, never saw her. And then when that nurse left and closed the door, she came out of the bathroom. This is how, this is what went on night after night after night in hospital. So I started looking at her really studying her. And this is why I'll never forget what she looked like because I studied her top to bottom. She was about five, seven, five, eight. She wasn't very tall. She was very attractive, strawberry colored hair, uh, redhead. She reminded me of uh, Mrs. Pearson, my fifth grade math teacher. She looked so much like her. Everybody in school in those days thought she was a cute teacher. She looked just like her. And I, I noticed her uniform. I, I noticed everything that I could notice about her, but I was studying her because I knew something, something was different. She wasn't dressed like the other nurses. She didn't interact with other nurses. She wasn't even interested in it. She didn't talk to anyone else. She only talked to me and she would even touch me. And when she touched me, you know, like just to comfort me, like on my wrist, she'd be like, you know, you're, you're going to get better soon. It was, it was the, it was like, it, it was like, if you took the feathers off of a, a swan, her skin was so incredibly soft. It was unbelievable. And so the more that she, she did what she did, I realized she's, she's not of this world because she, Jeff was like the mother of, if you could take every loving mother on planet earth combined with every loving grandmother on planet earth and ball them all up into one entity. That's how much love this woman exuded from herself. And she just, she felt like I would, I felt like I was the only thing that mattered to her in the universe. Like I was the most important thing. I never felt anyone care about me ever in my life as much as this woman did. I mean, it was like she, she loved me with all her heart. She was so kind and gentle and compassionate to me. And, and I was beyond appreciative. Let me tell you what, because with how I felt and the kind of life that I had growing up as a kid where there was no love in the house, I didn't have a mother that says, I love you and, and would hug me, um, would even go to plays at school, just was not active in my life at all. So I, I hungered for what my friends that I went to school with had the kind of moms that they had. And so this nurse kind of took on that role for this time. And I was so appreciative. I was just like enjoying what, what she was doing for me. And it, it, I was just in awe that she was doing that for me because I wasn't used to that kind of affection and care. And uh, I, I just wanted her to be around 24 seven. And, and she was around every night. Never in the daytime, never, you know, when it was daytime and then the, the, the day shift nurses would come in. I never saw her. It was only at night, late at night that she'd come in my room. And then she'd tell me, she says, honey, I'm going to stay with you all night. And, and the thing that puzzled me the most is because of that paper head. I told you that, that nurse hat that she wore with the red cross, I thought, before I started putting two and two together, that there was something different about her. I thought she was the head nurse of the floor. So imagine having the head nurse of the ward telling you she's going to stay with you all night. It's like, but how you're, you're like the busiest nurse on the whole floor. There's no way you would have time to stay with me. That's what I couldn't understand. It's like, don't you have other patients and other rounds to, of patients to check on? I mean, this is what I was thinking. I didn't say it to her. But I was like, how could, how could she afford to stay with me all night long? And every time I woke up, there she was. You know, she, just, she lived up to her promise. And it's like, this is amazing. So anyway, this is what went on. And then towards the end of the week, like two to three days before I were to be discharged, she brought me a VCR and a bag of seven VHS tapes. And this is where it gets bizarre because in that chair, that was like a restaurant chair with no armrests on it beneath the TV. That's where she set it. She set the VCR down and she put the bag of seven VHS tapes on top. And she says, this is for you. If you want to have something to watch because she knew I didn't have TV. It was a, a separate bill in those days. 
And she didn't ask me to hook it up or nothing. She just said, this is for you if you want something to watch. And I thanked her. She didn't tell me what it was. She didn't show me what it was. I had no idea. I just knew there was tapes in there. And I later found out there were seven of them, which I often wonder if that wasn't significant for something. Um, but she left it there. And so by the time I got to the end of the week and it was time to get ready to be discharged and go home, the nurses were coming into my room and they were making preparations for me to leave the hospital because now I was on the other side of things. I no longer needed to be in the hospital. I was improving. I did lose weight because I'm a guy that can lose weight quick. And they actually took me out in a child's wheelchair because I was so skinny then, but they, they wanted to um, pack up the the VCR and the tapes. And I says, what, what are you doing? And uh, she says, well, we're getting this ready to go home with you. I says that, that don't belong to me. And uh, they says, well, don't, well then whose is it? And I says, it's obviously yours from the hospital. I said, that's your equipment. And one nurse went to check down at the conference room because they came back and told me, they said, all their equipment, everything that belongs to the hospital has labels on it. It says property of WCA hospital, which is women's Christians association. Everything has a WCA label on it. Everything. Even when they bring you like a pitcher of ice water, it says WCA on it. And they found no label on the VHS tapes and no label on the VCR. And, um, I told them, I says, before I go, I says, I want to thank the nurse that cared for me every single night that I was here. And the nurse looked at me and she says, well, what nurse? And I told her the name at the time. I just now with all these years later, I can't remember her name. I just can't. But I told them her name. And she says, well, I don't, I don't know of a nurse of that name. She says, just a minute. I'll, I'll let me go down to the nurse's station. She says, and I'll be back. And she went down there and asked a bunch of nurses and they didn't recognize the name. So the nurse came back with a second nurse, another nurse accompanied her and they came into the room and she says, uh, what did this nurse look like? And I described the nurse, even the uniform and the hat with the red cross and, and her hair length and her hairstyle and her height, everything. And I said, she's, she's really attractive. I says, and I want to thank her for the special care that she gave me every night for the whole time I was here. And they says, well, we don't know of any nurse that under that description. And they says, we don't, we don't wear uniforms like that. They said, this is what we wear, what we got on. Did she, was she wearing anything like this? And I says, no, I said, she had a white cap on with a red cross and she, her whole uniform was just all white. Even her stockings were white. Her shoes were white. <laughs> so uh, I explained her to them and the two nurses just looked at each other and they says, well, we're getting your paperwork together and uh, the doctor wants to see you uh, before you go. And she says, we'll be back. Well, when these two nurses came back, Jeff, they came back with an army of nurses because the whole time they were up at the nurse's station, up the hallway from my room, they started talking to the other nurses and now they were all curious. And the more the nurses came to my room, the more that came with them. And this literally got out of hand because now a bunch of nurses were coming into my room. And as they gathered around my bed, I could see shorter nurses peering over the shoulders of taller nurses in front of them. There was a bunch of them. And they said, tell us again what this nurse looked like. They were fascinated and they were very, very interested. And I thought, wow, this is, this is crazy. I mean, that they're so interested in this nurse. And so again, and again, I kept repeating her description, her name, everything to them. And they said, we don't know of any nurse in this hospital on any shift day or night or in any ward under that name or under that description, wearing that type of uniform. So they didn't know what to think. And little by little, some of them broke away and left the group and went back up the hallway to the nurse's station. And then the rest of them went and 
eventually Dr. Galil, the one that did the surgery, the ear, nose, and throat specialist, made it to my room, and he sat on the end of my bed near my feet. And he says, Kevin, he comes in, he sits down, he's got his white overcoat on, he's got the stethoscope, he had a, a clipboard of instructions he wanted me to follow once I go home, things to do, things not to do, what to eat, what not to eat, so on and so forth. And he sets the clip down, clipboard down, and he takes his glasses off, and he says, my girls have been telling me about this nurse that you had an experience with. And that's what he called his nurses was his girls. He says, my, my girls have been telling me about this experience you had with this nurse. And uh, he says, could you, could you describe her to me? And I thought, my God, here I go again. I just told all the nurses, everything. Now he wants to hear the story. So I reiterated to him what I told the, the nurses um, from the hospital what she looked like, her hair color, her style, everything, her uniform, and what she did and what she said to me. And I says, I says, go in the bathroom. There should be a washcloth in there. I said, she's the one that washed the blood off of me. Go into the bathroom and, and, and see if there's a washcloth in there. And he came out with the washcloth. And this is how I found out in the daytime that it was pink. The washcloth was still in there with my blood in it. And I says, in that VCR and those VHS tapes, she brought those to me. I says, that don't belong to me. I said, the nurses have been packing up that stuff, getting ready for, for it to go home with me. And I says, I'm not taking it because it's not mine. I said, that's stealing. It does not belong to me. She didn't tell me I could have it. She says, I brought you this so you'd have something to watch. So I did not feel comfortable with taking equipment home with me that did not belong to me. Nobody gave me permission to do that. The hospital just assumed because there's no labels on it that it was mine. And they, and they said, she, she brought that. I says, yes, my family didn't. I says, I didn't even have visitors while I was in the hospital. And I didn't, my mom came in and saw me afterwards when I had the, the second emergency surgery. And once they assured her, everything was going to be fine with her son. She went home because that's just the type of mom I had. She went home. And so the whole time I was in the hospital, I got no company. And, and that's another reason why I think this angel stayed with me is because I had nobody not even a roommate in the, in the hospital bed because it was empty the whole time. And so I said, she's the one that brought me these items. And when they checked the conference room and said, well, it's not our VCR from the conference room. And we don't recognize the tapes had no labels on them. They, you know, like a movie would have a label on it. There was, they were just black VHS tapes, just black blank ones. And, and I have no idea what was on them because I never had a nurse hook the thing up with the coax cable. I never had them turn it on and put a tape in to this day. And this is one of my biggest regrets is I do not know what was on those seven VHS tapes that were roughly, I don't know, six, eight hours long each. There could have been an awful lot of information on there and who knows what would have been on there being brought to me from another realm. Because the hospital said, we do not own this equipment. It is not ours. And I says, well, it's not mine. And I says, and she brought this stuff. And I says, and she's the one that got that washcloth and wiped the blood off of me. And these things on the table right here, the, this is when she brought me the jello. She, I tried pudding. I wanted to try butterscotch pudding. I couldn't eat it because it was so painful. I said, everything you see in this room is what she brought me. I said, she's the one that did it. And I says, and I want to thank her. I really wanted to thank her because I never got a chance to thank her because she was such a loving person. And Dr. Galil told me, he says, well, Kevin, he says, I don't know what to make of your story, but he says, I know all my girls. He says, I know all the nurses on the wards, both night and day shifts. He says, I know all my girls. He says, I can assure you, we have no nurse anywhere in this entire hospital that fits the description you gave the name you gave or the type of uniform she wears. So by this time, one of the nurses wanted to report it to the police because they thought they had an imposter coming into the hospital after hours and posing as a nurse. They thought that they had someone that could be dangerous, understandably in the hospital posing as a nurse. And that's why the uniform didn't match theirs. It wasn't. And I'm telling you right now, Jeff, she had, she had an energy about her that I somehow knew she was ancient, ancient. 
like like this this being had been around for thousands of years she seemed beyond intelligence what we recognize as intelligence on this earth this this angel as i call her because that's what i believe she was because she was so kind loving compassionate and she was there for me and she stayed with me when no one else did it was just her and i and she looked after me and she did anything i needed her to do to make me comfortable so she was an angel in my eyes and i never got to tell her thank you but i could i could sense somehow and i can't explain this but i could i just it's like i had an all-knowing and that's why I, I really paid attention to her because I realized something's different about her. She seemed ancient, like she had been around caring for others for thousands of years. And I was just another assignment on her list sent from wherever. And so fast forward, when the internet came along, the only way I could find the uniform, because I didn't know what era it was from, I just started typing in like, uh, 80s nurse uniform. And then I went 70s nurse uniform. And I kept going down through the decades and boom, 1940s. She was wearing a 1940s nurse's uniform. Because when I got down to where the uh, pulling up uniforms from the 1940s, perfect match, perfect match. That's exactly what she was wearing. And I, I have no idea where she came from other than heaven and, and and she came to and from the bathroom and right before a nurse would come into my room she'd disappear like she had this knowing that a nurse was approaching and it was time for her to leave and she'd go into the bathroom and then when it was safe to come out again she'd come out and she talked to me she touched me she assured me she gave me things she washed the blood from my face and my mouth. I even had dried blood in the corner of my, uh, of my lips. And she would, you know, just with the washcloth, get it all cleaned off of me. And to this day, I can't explain it, but I will never forget it. And these nurses were so fascinated in this story. I wish I could somehow show you what their faces look like, because as I was telling them, they were looking at each other like, what do you make of this story? But they didn't act like they never heard something this before. It was just like, there's a lot of paranormal that goes on in hospitals because it's where life happens when babies are born and it's where life ends when people pass away. So I'm sure there's a lot of residual energy and spirits and maybe angels come and go to help people cross over or whatever. So I'm sure nurses are no stranger to hearing things from their patients that are unexplained. But let me tell you what, they were fascinated in this nurse for me coming from a 17 year old kid. And the thing is, Jeff, I didn't even ask for her because when I was 17, I had, I had long black hair really because I was into heavy metal 1980s, you know, I was rock and roll. I had long black hair down to the middle of my back. I was into Cinderella really heavy. I had a jean jacket with their patch on the back, the Cinderella group. I was into drinking beer and dating girls. And, and in, in those days, I didn't pray. I've always believed in God and Jesus Christ, but I, I, never, I never prayed when things got bad. Like, please, God, help me through this situation. Like I would now because I'm older, wiser, and, you know, not that stupid 17-year-old kid anymore with long hair and drinking and partying. But I never asked for God's help. I never asked for an angel. I never None of that. She was just there. Like, like God knew that I, I needed her help because the, the real nurses on the night shift, they rarely came into my room. I was just like parked in there and forgot about. And every once in a while, they'd come in. This nurse, the angel, who I believe is an angel and still is, probably helping other people out there, she stayed with me for seven nights because when I was originally supposed to be in the hospital for only one or two days max, because of what happened with the hemorrhage and having to go through an, a, a second, but emergency surgery, I ended up being there for seven nights, eight days and seven nights. And, uh, and that's, and that's when I was taken out of the hospital in a child's wheelchair. I was so skinny and, um, I just could not eat. All I could do was just barely, barely sip a little bit of ice water. 
And uh, so I know I don't know what happened to the VCR because I did not bring it home with me. I only brought home what I went to the hospital with my own personal belongings. So I have no idea what happened to the VCR or those seven tapes um, in the bag. And I don't know what was on them because I never asked a nurse to hook, hook it to the TV and put something in. So I'll never know what was on those tapes, but that was the evidence. Sorry. Imagine if it was a bunch of movies about angels. That's what I was wondering. Or it could have been reruns of the Brady Bunch. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, I think there would have been some significance to it. But the thing that's odd to me, Jeff, seven. She brought me seven. But how... And this is what I've struggled with all my life because I'm a rational person. I mean, I have an open mind, but when you think of it with a rational mind that, that tries to explain things away, how does something that isn't physically, you know, in a physical, real flesh and blood body, how does something take on that form and, 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 and bring you a physical object when, when it doesn't belong to the hospital and it don't belong to me? Where did, where did she get this thing? Where, where did this VCR and these tapes come from? And, and, and how did she carry something that's physical if she's not truly physical? This is, this is what blows my mind. But she was not a real, just average human being nurse, female nurse. She was not. This woman was definitely supernatural. And I believe in deep in my heart, and I will never waver from it. She was an angel because she just had that presence about her. Like she was sent and assigned by God to give the type of care she could carry out. I was wondering that myself about how she was interacting with the physical. You know, usually you would probably think of an angel, not exactly, but kind of like a ghost or transparent and they're there, but they're not there completely in the physical. But she appeared to be completely in the physical with you, you know, wiping the blood off your face, bringing you the VCR. Yes, but she wasn't she wasn't completely solid like looking at me. You couldn't see through her. Mm-hmm. And this is this is really hard to explain. She she looked completely solid. She wasn't glowing. She didn't have like anything radiating off of her. And and uh but she looked she looked almost like faded, mm. like, like her, her skin tone and her color and even her clothes. And even the, the red of the X was like toned way down, you know, like when you go into editing and you can, you can take the, the color bars mm. and you can like take an image and just fade it down. So it looks more faded. That's how she appeared. That's how she always looked. She wasn't like really bright. And that's why it was like she was coming into this world from somewhere else. And and it was almost like this reality kind of like hindered that for lack of a better word, because I just, it, it's so incredibly hard to experience. I mean, you would have been there and seen her like I did. And that's why I know without a doubt that I was not hallucinating from the morphine because of the, the items that she brought, not only what was on my table, but what was in the chair and the bag of tapes and the VCR and then the bloody washcloth from the bathroom. So she left evidence behind. Did she appear two-dimensional? I mean, kind of flat-like? Or did she appear three-dimensional? No, it was like two-dimensional. That's, that's, see, I couldn't think of that. That's the, that's a perfect way to put it. That's a perfect way to put it because it was, it wasn't, it was like, she wasn't all the way into this world. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I just, I don't know. It's so hard to explain it for me because I, I can picture it in my mind, but I can't bring that picture out in words. I can, I still remember. I'll never forget what she looked like because she looked so much like Mrs. Pearson, my fifth grade math teacher. She, she could have passed as a sister for her same height, hairstyle, everything. She looked so much like Mrs. Pearson and uh, everybody adored her in school. She was such a cool school teacher, but this, this nurse, angel, woman, whatever you want to call it, I call her an angel. I, I truly believe she was an angel. 
And I've heard other angel stories since then where people have been approached by an angel, like right after a car accident, before responders get there, where all of a sudden this stranger comes out of nowhere and offers help. And they were wearing like street clothes and look like you and me, you know, just a normal human being that was the first to respond to a wreck. And then they vanish. And then the paramedics say, well, we didn't see this person they're talking about. We didn't see no man trying to help this, this person after they crashed their car or, or lady, you know, you hear many accounts of this. So I'm a firm believer that angels can come to us in many forms, um, maybe to, to sue us of what we're, what we can see without being freaked out by it. Because maybe if she would have come to me as like a full blown angel, like everyone pictures an angel, I mean, that would have been like, you know, that would just be overwhelming, but she came to me like a nurse, but she was wearing an outfit from the 1940s. And I, and I did not know that until the internet came along because I really didn't know what era that, that set up that, you know, that, apparel that she was wearing what does what era does that belong to i, I wasn't familiar with that mm. so it, it, it wasn't until the internet came along to where i could go down through the decades and just pull up images of nurses and it's like there it is there it is 1940s when you pull up 1940s and you look at how uh they still differ a little bit but it was that style it was that type uh, of nurse's outfit with a cap Boy. so i don't know if it was like a military style with the the red cross you know um i don't know but that's how she appeared to me that's how she came to me and she that's how she looked the whole entire time nothing changed she always had the cap that same outfit and uh very loving and very caring and i will never forget her and and since i've and i've i've been hospitalized since i mean i've had my appendix out i've had a collapsed lung ended up in icu i had spermatocele surgery when i had my nde and, and woke up in a trauma unit with paddles next to me. Every time, Jeff, I go in a hospital, I think I will know if, if something is not going as good as maybe I think it is, because if she shows up again, I'm sure if she did it once, she'd do it again. There must've been a need for it or otherwise I don't think she would have come to me like she did, but I would recognize her. And to tell you the truth, I miss her. Every time I go into the hospital, I think to myself, I wish she would come back just so I could say thank you for when you came and helped me in 1988 when I was 17 years old. I never got to tell you thank you. Have you tried to Google angel and hospital stories and see if anybody else has seen that angel? I have. I've, I've heard um, you can read other uh, stories of people that had angel, angel encounters where it was similar to mine where they were in a nurse's outfit and, and not the traditional you know, heavenly angel that you, you would get that image in your mind of what an angel looks like. And probably we're all wrong anyway, but I mean, that's just what we think, but not, not that specific look of what this one looked like. Um, but I did when I, when I was going down through the 1940s nurses outfits and I, and I saw the, the nurse outfit that she was wearing, I also saw a picture of a nurse wearing that uniform and she's identical. The woman that's in the picture wearing that she looks just like her, mm. like it was her. If she would, if she w had been alive as a human before I found a picture that looks just like her, I mean, just like her, but, I, but that still don't make me think, well, maybe she's just a deceased real nurse that existed at one time and now in the afterlife she's still caring for patients only differently than she did when she was in life i don't believe that i could be wrong but it's just i don't believe that i literally believe that she was an angel but why she came in a 40s getup, i don't know i mean only she would know there's um, there's a reason for everything i believe in in that there's there's reasons for everything and, and there was a reason for that. I just don't know what that reason is, Do you but think, I can only tell you as it was. Do you think it's possible that she was your own personal guardian angel, or do you think she was an angel that just happened to be working at that hospital? Good question. I felt more like she was assigned to me, like she was my own personal angel attending to me. 
that that doesn't mean that that's so you know i can't speak for her because she's not around anymore to ask but at the time to answer your question it felt like she was there for me and i i've struggled with what what went so wrong that that it was that it warranted her coming to me what ultimately did that because as i laid in my bed even after i had the the second surgery where he pecked my throat and, and did what he did with my jaw and i passed out and he corrected what i ruptured i didn't feel like i was going to die i never felt like i was going to die i was i was in a lot of pain and suffering beyond belief i mean suffering is an understatement that's not even the word for it but that but i didn't feel like i was on my way out so when she came to me what what was so wrong that she had to come to me like she did other than maybe she knew i didn't have anybody and she just wanted to be there to comfort me for those seven nights i really don't know they did this is what has played out in my mind over and over since then whenever i've thought about this incident is what were all these reasons like the the seven tapes you know what was on those tapes was 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 there something maybe i was supposed to see and I've regretted that, yeah. man, do I regret that? Maybe someday when I die and pass on, maybe I can ask that question in the afterlife and maybe the answer will be given to me exactly what was on those tapes. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that you had an NDE. For those of you that are interested, Kevin has been on before and we talked about his NDE. And Kevin is also a YouTuber and has his own YouTube channel. Why don't you tell us the name of your channel and the content that you post? Yeah, it's called uh, Getting Along Alone, just because I, I go out and do everything by myself. That's why it's named that. And uh, I do uh, camping and I, I show like uh, survival, different survival type skills. Uh, I, I do reviews on certain products, you know, outdoor products like uh, hatchets, flashlights, that kind of thing. And, uh, but it, it's kind of a mixed bag. I can't really seem to keep myself between the rails to where I can have my channel all about one thing. It's like, because I like to talk about the unexplained. I like to talk about, you know, people's belief in cryptid creatures. And, uh, so it's, it's all the outdoors, mainly outdoor related. The only thing that's not outdoor related would be like my NDE or even this story, of the angel story because i have talked about the story and posted it on my channel before i've talked about it many times with lots of different people and uh so from time to time i'll talk about these things just because it's a part of life and um but for the most part it's the outdoors and camper related things um like turning my van into a camper for anyone's interested I, i've done that turned it into an rv so uh that kind of thing you got anything else you're working on that you want us to know about yeah, I uh, well, like I mentioned before, um, my my van was attacked in the middle of the night, and um, when I was sleeping in in the state forest, and so what I'm working on right now is setting up a, a trail camera with infrared and motion detection uh, on a a post on top of my van mounted to the rack, so it's looking down over the van, and I just ordered KC lights, and they just showed up today. And I'm hiring someone to wire those in for me so I can illuminate camp at night because I want to be able to capture what goes on around my van at night when I sleep, when I'm camping, because after my van got all scratched up, I mean, it, it could have been a large bear, whatever it was, it was big, but uh, I can't confirm what it was because as I quickly left in the tail lenses of my lights on the back of my van, which are big lights, I saw nothing. And there was no room for anything to run away that quick because there was quite a area of um, grassy area before it got to the woods. I saw nothing, but something big woke me at one o'clock in the morning trying to claw its way into my van, mm. something very big. So I'm, now I'm going to be heading out with this new equipment to see what I can poss possibly capture out in the woods because I've had some strange things happen while out in the woods. Mm. I mean, the whole reason I stayed down there that night is because I didn't feel like driving home because it was late at night because the previous campsite I was at had weird lights going through the woods, different colored lights, like orbs passing through and behind the trees. Hmm. And I just thought this is weird. I'm getting out of here because I don't like dabbling with that stuff. You didn't hear any growling like that. Nothing. When you heard the scratching, like a bear sound. No, 
no grunting, growling, um, heavy breathing. I did hear walking around my van um, before I fell asleep. And I had been asleep maybe because I got a digital clock that illuminates in my van. You just hit the button and it lights up. And the the, um, half hour before I went to sleep, I heard something walking around my van because it it's a cul-de-sac like a, a parking lot it's a trailhead and it's got the big boulders that the state puts in so your vehicle can't go beyond those boulders and i backed right up to one of the boulders and in the gravel around the van i heard something walking but walking like i would be walking mm. you know upright not 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 on all fours mm. and, and so i heard something walking around my van didn't think too much of it you know because not much really gets me going when I'm in the outdoors. I'm just used to being in the outdoors and I fell asleep. But man, when I was woke up at one o'clock in the morning, it was horrific, Jeff. Whatever was trying to get in my van was big. That's all I can tell you. It was big. And I got the evidence. I did the video on my uh, channel because the top of the paint of my van is all scratched up and you can see rake marks going across the luggage rack on the van. So now when I go, I'm going this weekend actually, and I'm setting up cameras and I got the KC lights that I got to get wired in. So hopefully I can get on camera, whatever comes around my van, because I've had things come around my van before. Were your viewers telling you that they thought it was Bigfoot? Yeah, I got, well, Bigfoot and um, Jersey Devil. I got one subscriber that thinks it's the Jersey Devil. I mean, the, you know, there's a lot of people believing in these cryptids and they, my subscribers know I'm not a big believer in cryptids. I, I just don't believe in that stuff because I'm 50 years old. I've been in the outdoors since I was five years old with my dad. And, uh, I've done lots of camping, fly fishing, canoeing, hiking deep in the country, way out in the middle of nowhere. And I've only seen, I've had one experience. I couldn't explain where something crossed a road right next to me where I was walking that I could not see. And I know that sounds crazy. If you think of the movie predator, it was like that. That's a different story. Mm. But outside of that, the only thing that I've seen in the woods that I couldn't explain, and it was brief, was something black about the size of a Rottweiler running through the undergrowth, like where the ferns are and stuff like that, the young tender plants, running really fast, full full throttle, just full bore running as fast as it could, and then it's gone. It disappears, just totally gone. And the second time I seen it, as it was running, it was starting to rear up on two legs, like it was running and then wanting to stand up and then run very bizarre and the thing is so fast i i don't know how it get that on camera but i've seen it twice now and it was uh um this year and last year so in the last two years is the first time i've ever seen something in the forest i couldn't explain so what do you think it was that was scratching your van well because i went back down and i did videos about this where i took my audience with me i went back down and i walked around and checked uh, the place out because I've been there before in the daytime. And then I went back again after in the daytime. So it's not someplace I hadn't been before, but after that happened, I went down to investigate and I did run across several large black bear prints. So I'm assuming it was a very big black bear because there are big black bear down there trying to get in. But because I did not see the bear, I can't honestly in all truthfulness say it was a bear right. because I would have to see it to say what it was and i saw nothing absolutely nothing and bears are acclimated to automobiles especially at parks like state parks and stuff where there's campers and coolers and tents when they know there's food around or something like that um starting up a vehicle and quickly driving away isn't going to make a bear just run off into the woods they'd just be like hey where are you going you'd you'd see it and it's in your taillights right It, it wouldn't scare them away so the fact that there was nothing there kind of rattled me All right, Kevin, well, we're running out of time. So before we finish up here, do you have one last positive message you want to share with everyone? Absolutely. That message, and I thought about this, and this is how I felt since that happened. My positive message is that no matter what you think, no matter what you believe, no matter what happens, when the higher power feels that you need help, help will be on the way, whether you ask for it or not in your in in some your worst part of life maybe it could be depression maybe it could be a bad relationship when you need help or something but when you're in your darkest time whether it be painful pain wise because of a procedure or just emotionally painful that when it's needed 
I believe that an, an angel will come to help you through it. And um, I know that now for sure, because I didn't even have to ask for it. And I believe this same gift is available to everybody. So it's not a type of help you have to ask for. It can be there when you don't even realize you need it. Well, thank you for that message, Kevin. And thank you for sharing your experience with us today. I really appreciate you. And um, I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks for the time to, to tell my story. I hope it helps someone out there who may be listening. Thanks a lot. And you have a good day too, my friend. All right. Take care, brother. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.